All right, ladies, welcome. Tehillim time. We're studying chapter Nun here, uh, 55, Fenil Adu, for those that are worried about that. Uh, the chapter after 54, put it that way. Uh, these classes are studied Le'ilun Nishmat, the Tzadeket Le'ah Bat Virginia. Mrs. Lali Madde Ba'alea Shalom. We try to study a chapter a week. Uh, to elevate her holy soul. Amen. This chapter, Nunhe, uh, is a chapter that David Melech prays when one of the greatest tragedies that can happen to a father happens is that the rebellion of his son Absalom. All of us know that David Melech had internal struggles from his own family. His own son turned against him. Now, it's not that he was just a wayward kid, but he actually intended to kill his father. So much so that he created a group around him, and they almost uh, succeeded. <clears throat> what bothers David in this chapter is not about his son Absalom, but David had a loyal friend, as we'll see, he was an advisor, one of the wisest of all men, and his name was Ahitophel. Ahitophel and David always had good relationship. They had a treaty amongst them. They were always on the same side. And here, Ahitophel, for whatever reason, betrays David, King David, and joins Absalom. Now, on two levels. First of all, it's hurtful that David Amelech was betrayed by his friend. And David is worried because he knows how clever Ahitophel is. So with Absalom's might and Ahitophel's brains, so now Absalom's mutiny against his father becomes something that is a real concern. So David in this chapter uh, is upset, obviously, and he prays to God to save him from this uh, coup against him, and he prays for the downfall of Ahitophel. Because David at this point realizes that Ahitophel is indeed a bad man. He's a rasha. <clears throat> he can't be trusted. As great as a scholar as he was, he was just a, a, an ashaf. You remember a few weeks ago we learned about Doeg. <clears throat> Doeg was another great scholar, but he was a bad guy. And I think we talked about that you could be a great scholar and be a bad guy at the same time. And Ahitophel's in that same, uh, same league. And, just, and Bil'am is the same thing as well. Bil'am is a great prophet, and he's a corrupt, uh, perverted uh, soul at the same time. The, you could have light and darkness working simultaneously. And that's what we learn from about these people. Common denominator between all of them is we're going to see that because they were wicked, they didn't live too long. Uh, Ahitophel, as we're going to see, dies at 33. That's because of the curse of King David in this chapter. David's going to curse him, and it's going to come true. I think we said Doeg made it to 34. Again, they don't make it to half their life. Assuming a normal lifespan in the olden days was 70, so they don't even reach half their lifespan, which is one of the things David's going to say over here. And as we learn the chapter, we like to learn it according to the simple interpretation first, and then we'll make some dirashot on the, uh, the Pesukim. Yeah, these, these chapters can be studied on many levels, of course. You know, first you have to understand what the, the simple words are, and then the behind the scenes what David Melech might have been referring to. So if you open up your Sefarim, <clears throat> we'll read it together, Lam Naseyah. So Lam Naseyah is the conductor. David wrote all these songs 
and presented it to the conductor of the Beit HaMikdash, uh, eventually. And Dinginot was played with music. Maskil de David. <clears throat> maskil means, it's a chapter that has a maskil. Maskil means a, a lesson. When you read the kids' books when they were young, you told them the moral of the story is, that's the maskil. So every chapter that David writes has a practical lesson. So this is uh, included. Ha'azina Elohim tefillati. So before he actually makes his prayer, he prays that his prayer should be answered. <laughs> Which we would never think to do that. You know, we pray for what we want, but before you pray for what you want, you have to pray to God that you accept my prayer, and then you pray for what you want. So David Amelik says, Ha'azina Elohim tefillati. <clears throat> Accept or listen to hear my prayer that I'm praying with kavana and please do not uh, deny my request. Now, when he says tehinati, comes from the word tehina, uh, which can mean a supplication, but it could also mean tehinati from the word hinam. Hinam means for free, which means I don't deserve what I'm asking you. If I'm asking you to give it to me for free. And that's the way we always approach God. We never go to God and ask that he should answer us based on merit. Because who's so confident that we have enough merit to call in a chip? So therefore, David Amalek, as great as he was, he still says, It should be matanat chinam. And God is generous. God doesn't need to get paid in order to give us goodness. God can give us goodness, and uh, like they say in the restaurant business, on the house. So therefore, he's saying over here, Let it be matanat chinam. Mikol Oyev Mepene Akat Rasha. He says, I'm calling out to you because of the, the voice and the words of the enemy, the Oyev. Who's the Oyev? Avshalom. Avshalom becomes the enemy of his father. He tried to usurp the throne, he tried to kill him. And Mepene Akat Rasha. And because of the uh, pressure, of the Rasha. Who's the Rasha? Ahitofil. So and those are the two people in this Pasuk. Mikol Oyev. Oyev is his son. Abshalom. Mepne Akat Rasha. Rasha is Ahitofil. So it's very clear at this point, David has determined that Ahitofil is a bona fide Rasha. Ki Yamitu Alai Aven. My enemies are plotting libels. Libels means uh, lies against me in order to uh, allow my blood to be uh, spilled. And obviously the hatred, and I didn't do anything to them. They have anger, they're filled with uh, animosity. And therefore, amazing this pasuka. I, 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 you, you would think that he's scared of nothing. You know, you would say that David might say, ah, good luck to them. You know, I'm not worried about them. But he says, no. My heart is uh, shaking inside of me. I'm afraid. Wow. I'm afraid of death. That's how much this threat was. This was not a, a fake threat. David Amalek is telling you in the chapter the way he felt at the time of Shalom and Ahitophel were coming against him. I am overcome with fear and trepidation. It sounds like he was, uh, you know, he was uh, obviously very, very, very scared. He was petrified, as they would say it. 
ותחסני פלסות. And I was overcome with shudders and trembling. To the extent, David at this point in the chapter says, what's my, uh, what's my options? David felt his only option is to run away somewhere. Like a bird. So he says, Va'omar, mi yitenli ever kayona. If God uh, would give me wings, like a, like a dove, a'ufa ve'ishkona. I'll fly away and you know, hide away in some, uh, some place. Amazing thing. David Amelech is uh, saying, what's my options? And I have to fly away somewhere. But I'm not, the only problem is I'm not a dove. I'll go far away and live somewhere far. I'll go sleep in the deserts. Far away from uh, the, uh, the population. I will run quickly. To, a, to an asylum, Miflatli is to an asylum, to seek shelter. To save me from the enemies that are like a tempest wind, or like a, a tornado that's coming fast and fury in order to come and attack me. Now, that's the beginning of the chapter, where David Melech is laying out his fears. So I'd like to make some observations, at least on the beginning part of the chapter. We're going to divide the chapter into two. This is David HaMelech laying out the problem, laying out his worries, he's being very honest with us. And at one point he's telling us, Mi yitenni eber kayona. I, I wish you should give me wings like a dove. Now, I know none of our members really are uh, grammar fans, and you know, it's a technical thing, grammar. <clears throat> but nonetheless, we have to get involved with it for a minute, so please uh, be patient. I, I'm, I was a big fan of grammar, only because of Mag and David. We had great rabbis like Rabbi David Biton, that drilled grammar into our heads, how important it is. And Rabbi Baruch, the founding rabbi of this synagogue, also was a great grammarian. So I, was, I, was, I learned under those rabbis, so they... they uh, <clears throat> put it this way, I got an acquired taste for something that I you know, would not have had if I didn't have those great rabbis. And they taught us that there's a difference between when you have a sheva under a word, a letter, or a patah. I'll give you an example. When we put on our talit on in the morning, the men say, lehit'atef besisit. We do not say basisit. There's a difference between besisit and basisit. What's the difference? Besisit means the sisit, the strings, the tassels. Basisit means the special tassels. Ba is instead of a hair, which is called hehayidi'ah, which means as if you're saying behasisit, the sisit. It's the one that is known. In the olden days, they used to have a special blue string on their uh, talit. So they would say that atef basisit, because they were wearing the, the real Known ones. But today, since we're not wearing the blue string anymore, we just say, Besisit. So the ba makes it known. The hair yidi'ah. The hair of, um, of a pronouncement. So over here it says, God Almighty, had you given me wings like, not a dove, but kayona, like the dove. Now he's talking about a specific dove. Now, any of you know any famous doves in the Jewish history? 
Anybody ever go to the parrot jungle? No, not talking about that. Noah, exactly. Noah. That's the famous dove. So David Amelik is like, I don't want to be just like any dove, but I want to be like your the, the dove, the dove that Noah sent off the Teba. Now what's, uh, what's so special about that? So um, the holy books bring down uh, Rabbi Moshe Al-Sheikh, actually, on his commentary in Romemot El on Tehillim. He comes along and he says, He wanted to know if the water had settled. And it says that the Yonah came back with an olive branch in his mouth. And the rabbis told us, where did he get the olive branch from? It says he got it from Gan Eden. Oh, so therefore, what David Amelech is saying, I want to go where the, where, 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 the, where the dove went. The dove of Noah, he went to Gan Eden, which means, get me out of this world. That's how much David Amelech felt it was in days. The only place I'll be safe is give me wings like the Yonah, just like the Yonah flew off the Teban, he flew to Gan Eden. Let me fly there and let me stay there. I'm not going to come back. That's the interpretation of Al-Sheikh. Now, in these Pesukim also, there's a famous Beta Levi. And I'll bring it to your uh, attention immediately. The Beta Levi is talking about a question that many historians have. Maybe some of you thought about it once. How is it the Nazis, for example, were able to convince an entire... Uh, uh, ethical people, civilized people, into doing the most uh, barbaric, uh, you know, monstrous uh, uh, actions uh, in history. How do you convince normal people, we call them normal, I mean, they're barbarians at the end of the day, but they were convinced to do things that are unimaginable. So the, um, the Betelebi says something beautiful. He says, before you discuss German, let's go back before the Germans. How did Paro convince the Egyptians to torture the Jewish people? If you can answer that question, you have an answer to the second question. So he says, and this is an old uh, strategy that the anti-Semites use. It's in their playbook. And you see they use it all the time. The first thing they have to do to convince the people to do uh, atrocities against, let's say, the Jews that we're talking about, is to first create what's called propaganda. You need to propagandize to make it that the people believe that the Jews are bad, that the Jews are the enemy, that the Jews are a liability. Once you can convince the people that, you know, the Jews are, just like you can convince people about a virus, you can convince people about wearing a mask, and convince people about taking shots, it's all propaganda. And society now, you see a guy sitting inside his house under his table, still wearing a mask. What are you wearing a mask for? You're in your house, you're under the table. So nobody they say, come take it off. And if you say Shabbat Shalom, they say, hey, 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 what are you doing? Don't put on a mask. <laughs> Understand what's going on? You can convince people to do anything. If you just propagandize it enough and you create havoc and you create, uh, uh, you know, get people in a dizzy, so all of a sudden they start believing it. And they start acting in abnormal ways. So you see, Paro, it says, had a meaning, it says, with his advisors. It says, 
in the Pasuk, and I'm quoting. He tells his advisors, I'm quoting. Hen am b'nei Yisrael. After all, the Jewish people, Rav ve'atzum mimenu. Rav ve'atzum means they're becoming uh, um, uh, plenty. They're multiplying very quickly. But the way the rabbi learns it is, Rav ve'atzum, they're becoming very successful and wealthy, mimenu, from us. The simple interpretation is, they're becoming very plentiful and more uh, uh, um, increasing in their numbers than us. But he learns that no, they're becoming more successful and prosperous, mimenu from us. So now they start to frame the Jew as stealing money and all these rich Jews that are taking the money of the goyim. And now all of a sudden he, he says something that's preposterous. The Jews are a threat to national security. That's always what the goyim use that, national security. Why? They say, listen, we're worried that the Jews are not loyal citizens. And if, let's say, another nation will come into Egypt, you know, a fifth column nation that will come in to fight us, well, that fifth column will not be able to attack us because they're a minority. But if the Jews will join with them, then they'll become the majority. And therefore, they'll kick us out of our land. So he says, We have to make a plan against these people. Because they're multiplying. And in the event, if a war breaks out, they will join our enemies. And they'll fight us. And they'll kick us out of our land. Now, what is the common denominator between all what Paro said? It's not true. It's all propaganda. We didn't take anybody's money. We, we, we didn't show any signs that we're not loyal to the country. But all of a sudden, the next day in the newspapers... They write, Paro has high-level meeting with Security Council, deems Jews as national security threats. Therefore, we have to put them in a ghetto because they're a threat. And the says, oh yes, if they're a threat. And, they, and, and we're investigating that a lot of the money of the Jews might come from, uh, you know, uh, Egyptian uh, treasures. Wow. So you propagandize. Now all of a sudden, after they read that, in the, now the first day, I'm sure if they read it in the newspaper, you know what the Egyptians said? Ah, you can't believe the news. It's fake news. But you hear it over and over again. And all of a sudden, they started wearing masks and they're getting vaccines, for 16 vaccines. They started to believe it. And you see what happens? You could brainwash anybody to do anything. So they propaganda machine. That's what Paro was able to do. And, and Germans did the same thing. Germans had um, a, a propaganda minister that his job, who, who was it, the propaganda minister? Eichmann? Yemach Shemur, dedicated for that job, just to propaganda. So you went to the movie theater, the Germans, and in the beginning, before they showed the movie, you see a bunch of rats coming out of the sewer system of, of Germany, and then they write in big letters, Juden. Jews, so they're making a connection that Jews are equal to vermin. Jews are equal to rats. Now, the first time you saw it, they were probably revolted. They were like, oh, what is this over here? This is not right. But you see it over and over again. And they start to teach it in the schools. And they start to say these Jews are religious. And these Jews are not loyal patriots to the country. And they're, uh, you know, uh, they're going to, uh, you know, be a security threat and all that. And before you know it, you convince the Germans that the Jews are rats. Now, nobody has a problem with killing rats. 
As a matter of fact, the one that kills the rat is a hero. You know, we pay the exterminator to kill the rats. So therefore, Hitler got them to believe that the Jew is a, is a rodent. And therefore, you know, we, to, to save the country, the, the motherland, we have to, uh, the fatherland, whatever they call it, we have to, we have to get rid of them. Propaganda is the beginning of the, of the, of the process. I saw from Rabbi Mordechai Gifta, Shalom, he says, and we read in the Haggadah Shal Pesach, by Egypt it says, Vayare'u otanu hamitzrim. What does it mean, Vayare'u? I always understood, Vayare'u melashon ra'a. They did bad to us. But he says, no, Vayare'u means they made us bad. Which means they made us look bad in the eyes of the Egyptians. And then by Anunu, then torture becomes easy. Once you frame the Jew as a bad person, that takes time. It takes media and press and repetition. Repeat a lie long enough and it becomes the truth. And it becomes accepted by the people. You see exactly what's going on today. Uh, how you could deem people that are not wearing masks as security threat. And they're considered, uh, you know, uh, 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 domestic terrorists. It's just it's words. You make up new words, new terminologies. And also people think, oh, these people over here are the enemy of the state. Therefore, we can't let them into a restaurant. We can't let them into it. And everybody buying into it. They come over and say, yeah, you're a dangerous person. Where's your, uh, you know, how come you only got vaccine four times? I can't even take the sixth one. And that, that, beca- and that becomes the enemy of the state. I'm just giving you an example how you can convince people of, 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 of crazy stuff. And even though it doesn't make sense, but the, 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 half the time the vaccine didn't even work. But it doesn't matter. You lose, you lose all the lives. And I'm not giving you an opinion on vaccines. You'll ask your, your doctor. That's not my, what I'm coming. I'm just giving you an example, but you can convince people to do things that are, don't even make logic. But that's propaganda. Repeat it over and over again, it becomes the truth. Anyway, the Beta Levi then says, that's David's pasuk over here. Let's go back to the pasukim over here. He says like this. I was worried about what the Rasha was saying about me. They're speaking lies about me. Aven means falsehoods. That's how it starts. They speak falsehoods about the Jew. They speak falsehoods about the people. And then they characterize them. Remember they used to put the picture of the Jew with the big nose and they put him with the, uh, with the dunce cap or, you know, torturing a, a, a German. Make all different types of cartoons against them. And before you know it, So when they start to make us look bad, now I'm worried. And they can come to kill. They can come to kill. Because once you depict the Jew like a rodent, it could lead to killing, it could lead to death. He says, I was filled with fear. Listen to what he says. The Beit says, what do you mean I was filled with fear? He says, if a person commits a crime in a normal government, let's say a person steals, and you're living in a normal government that has courts, you're not afraid of the punishment of stealing because you know what the books say. Your lawyer tells you, this is the punishment for stealing. You're stealing, you're going to get this punishment. You're not afraid that they're going to kill you for stealing because you know that it's in the books. The court's going to follow. But once already they make you as a villain and they make you as an enemy of the state, then they can kill you for anything. So therefore, the Bible says, now I was worried. Because I didn't know what they what my enemies are capable of doing. Now, whatever the Jew's going to do is considered a capital offense. Because again, he's not a, he's not a loyal citizen. And this happened over and over throughout history. 
before they kill us, they propagandize us, they make us bad, and they make us, uh, and therefore the society is able to fall in right in, uh, you know, lockstep. That's the way, that's the way the Beta Levi learns. Okay, now let's see the next Pesuki. Bala Adonai. Palek Leshonam. Okay, God Almighty. Break their plots, meaning Absalom and Ahitophel. And therefore, let them fight amongst themselves. Make their language divisive amongst themselves. That they shouldn't understand each other. That the plot should become foiled. Kira'iti Hamas I see that they're plotting to bring the whole city against me. Yomam Balaila the fight and the strife and the argument that they're plotting against me is surrounding the city. That becomes the whole subject of the city. He says, like, like watchmen that guard the city day and night, they're creating havoc day and night. And their argument is filled with what? Libels, lies, and all sorts of uh, uh, evil. Havot bekirba. The evil which is in the city. And the streets are filled with lies and deceit and trickery. And then he says, it's so difficult. This is not an enemy that I expected to curse me. Because if it was an enemy that I expected, I, I said, okay, part for the course. This is not an enemy that I know to be aware from. Which means, if I knew it was an enemy of mine, I know to be, be careful from him. But this caught me off guard. One is my son, and one is my friend. The enemies came from the least expected places. And therefore it's seven times as hard. Again, he was more worried about Ahitophel. Ahitophel was a big blow to David. He couldn't believe that his advisor and his friend Ahitophel would become a turncoat. But that's what it is. People, uh, <coughs> people are not loyal. He's talking about Ahitophel now. You Enosh. You're a man like me. You are like me, meaning you're a man of stature. You're not a low life. You're not some mafia. You're not some bum or some bandit that's coming to. The, you're you're a man of a high level. Alufi umyudai, unbelievable. He says you were my aluf. What does aluf mean? You were my teacher. We're going to see in a minute that Ahitophel actually taught David some Torah. Says I respected you as a mentor. Umyudai. Yudai could mean we were friends. I mean, Yudai is a, a friend. That's why it hurt David much more. He says, you that I studied Torah from, and that I treated you as a friend, as, now here's a pasuk, together we studied the secrets of the Torah. And we went to the Bet Midrash, to the house of God, with great fervor. And now, we studied together, we went to shul together, the friends. 
And now you come along and you, you stab me in the back, you join my enemies. Now on this, there's much to say. We'll start now with the statements of the Hatam Sofer. You have to know that Ahitofel did not teach David too much Torah. But he taught him two Hidushim, two novel ideas. And the Mishnah Pirkeavot says from this, that even if somebody teaches you one Hidush, you have to afford him respect. And you have to call him your rabbi. He's my rabbi. Why? He taught me this one item. A rabbi doesn't mean he has to teach you the whole Torah. Even if he gives you one novel idea and you learn it from David. What are the two ideas that Ahitophel taught uh, David? So the Hatam Sofer says, he taught him two things. Number one, Amru Hazal, chapter 6. He only learned two things. He said, my rabbi, my teacher, my friend. Number one, David Amelik was learning alone. Ahitophel said, it's not good to learn alone. You have to learn in a group. People who learn alone are prone to make mistakes because they don't talk it out and they don't have somebody to, to, to bounce it off. The Gemara compares students that are learning together like two knives that sharpen each other. A knife cannot sharpen itself. You need another knife to rub against it. Barzel barzel yachad, the Gemara says. So therefore, Ahitophel gave him that advice that you need to study in a group. And the second thing he told them is that when you go to the Bet Knesset, you have to go to the Bet Knesset with feeling, with, with fervor. He saw David HaMelech going to the Bet Knesset alone, and he felt that David was on a high level, he should have an entourage with him. That when David travels to the Bet Knesset with an entourage, it's to the glory of God. Because they say, oh, look at this. If one man walks to the Bet Knesset alone, of the statue of David, they say, well, one guy must be not going to an important place, he's alone. But if you see a parade of people, so where are they all going, these people? So therefore he taught him that Kavod Bet Knesset, you should travel with, uh, you know, a, 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 a proper group of people. Minyan. So the Hatam Sofis is beautiful. These two Hiddushim that he taught him are in the Pasuk. Look at the Pasuk that we just read now. You are Al-Lufi, you are my teacher, Um Yuda'i, and you're my friend. And what did you teach me? Ashir Yahdab Namtik Sod. First you told me that when you want to reveal the secrets of the Torah, it has to be Yahdab, it has to be with, with people. Don't learn alone. Ashir Yahdab. To learn Torah and to reveal the secrets, it has to be a group. Uh, 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 has to be a, 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 a group uh, 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 situation. And then, Bebet Elohim, and when we go to the synagogue, he also taught me that we should go in a group. So the pasuk is hinting the two items. Now says the Atam very beautifully. The two items are basically one referring to Torah and one referring to tefillah. 
One Hiddush regarding learning and one Hiddush regarding praying. So he says, that's why he refers to him as Alufi and Yuda'i, my rabbi and my friend. Because when it comes to Torah, Torah it works that there's somebody higher than you. Meaning you learn from a rabbi. That's the way Torah works, there's hierarchy. So therefore he says, you taught me this. So you taught me a Hiddush in Torah, therefore I call you my rabbi, Alufi. But you taught me a, a concept of prayer. And when it comes to prayer, we're all equal. We're like friends. What does it mean? Amazing Hantush. Let's say you have uh, nine men in the room. You have Rav Moshe Feinstein, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rav Yitzhak Rudiman. You have the Stipler Rebbe. Now let's go to our side. You have the Benish Hai. You have Achab Yosef. You have Hakam Izra'atiyah. You have Achab Baruch Ben Ayim. And you have uh, the Hida, Arab Hida, and Hayim Yusuf the Bilal. Nine of the greatest Achamim, all sitting in the room together. Can they pray with a minyan, those guys? Only nine. No minyan. So need a minyan. Who walks in? Billy, who just got by mitzvah last week. He doesn't even know anything. The guy, Bazor, knows how to read, 13 years old. What makes him Jewish? He has a Brit Milah. What makes him Jewish? His mother was Jewish. So the Hida goes outside and says, You Jewish? Yes, I'm Jewish. Good, we need you for minyan. And now when Billy comes in, the, 13, the 10th guy, he's praying with the, with the giants. But in that room, everybody's equal. Billy, the 13-year-old Mitzvah boy, is, he's counted as one, and the Hida is counted as one, and Chamazati is counted as one. In prayer, everybody that comes to the minyan is equal. And that's why when Ahitofel uh, taught David Ahidush, regarding synagogue. So there he says, you're not my rabbi, there you're my friend, because they were all equal. Therefore he says, Alufi in Torah, Yuda'i in Tefillah. Because in Tefillah there's a equality. It's a beautiful, beautiful point that we have to tell the Bar Mitzvah boys that their status goes to, to, to the heavens on the day they become Bar Mitzvah. They become equal to the greatest. There's no difference between the greatest of the Sadiqim and the Bar Mitzvah. In that sense, when we count them, we don't ask a person who comes to be part of a minyan for his credentials. We don't say, how much did you do shas? Did you learn? Now, if he wants to become a rebbe in the yeshiva, we're going to have to ask him for his credentials, his religious credentials. But if he wants to be part of a minyan, we just say, is your mother Jewish? Yeah, okay, Baruch Abba. You know the alphabet? No, doesn't matter. Just sit down and keep quiet. Just answer, I mean, we, we, we don't care that he knows too much. And he's equal to everybody else. So in Torah, it's alufi, my rabbi, it's higher than me. And in prayer, yudai, it's, it's equal. Very good. Now, on this, I will tell you what I heard from Acham Baruch Alav Shalom many years ago. He said, Bebet Elohim, to the synagogue, which is the Bet Elohim, which we're in now, Nehalech, we will go Beragesh. Literally means with, with feeling. Regesh. Regesh means with feeling. So that's why you see some of the people before they come to the synagogue, they run. Because they want to go to show that they're, um, you know, they're excited to come to the synagogue. But Rabbi Baruch said the following, that when we go to the synagogue, we have to be willing to go in all weather conditions. He says, sometimes it's going to be hailing. And a person might come along and say, how can I go to the synagogue? Look at this hail over here, it's like the Mitzrayim. Other times, it's going to be windy. And the person says, wow, there's a wind, there's 50 miles an hour, tornadoes, I can't go out to shul today. Always an excuse. 
Another day, it's going to be raining. And on a fourth day, it'll be snowing. So he says, you can't be worse than the mailman. On a snowy day, do you get your mail? You get your mail. On a, on, a, on a windy day, does the mailman say, well, I'm taking off today? No, you should be worse than the mailman. So he says, Bebet Elohim, when I go to the house of God, take the word Beragesh. Bet, Resh, Gimalshin. Bet stands for the word Barad. Barad is hail. Resh stands for Ruach, wind. The Gimal stands for Geshem, rain. And the Sheen stands for Sheleg, snow. Bebet Elohim, Nalek Beragesh. No matter what the, the weather is, you come to the Bet Knesset. Now, Chabaruch was able to say that because he was in the synagogue no matter what. And he got there and he didn't, uh, uh, he didn't miss a day no matter what the, what, what, what the conditions were. That's a, a nice Hadush of the Rav. Fine. Now we continue our, um, our story. So David Melech says over here, this is a guy that I learned Torah from. This is a guy that taught me Hadushim. I called him my rabbi. I called him Alufi. I called him Yudai. And now what? Now David Melech says, I have to pray for their demise. Yashimavit alemo. Death should be on them. This is a, he's a traitor. David Melech understands that Achitofil again in his core is bad. You don't always see the bad in a person immediately. But David Melech at this point sees he was tricked. Achitofil, his guts were not good. His inside was corrupt. How can you do this? How can you? David was the king, by the way. So anyway, he's guilty for being a Mored B'Malchut. He's rebellious against the king. If somebody's rebellious against the king, of course he's guilty of death penalty. It's treason. So he says, He will die. Well, everybody will die. We know that. But he says, no. However, he's going to be, go straight to Gehinnam. Which means, according to the way he's saying over here, he will go to his death when he's alive. Well, doesn't everybody go to their death when they're alive? You don't die when you die. You die when you're alive. Not you, somebody. Everybody will live over here. The point is, he meant like this. He will die when he's alive. He will die healthy. When he's alive, when he's kicking, when he's fine. That means it's going to happen suddenly. And that's exactly what happened. He was only 33 years old and all of a sudden, croaked. He should go to his grave when he's alive. There should be no, no warning. And then everybody will know, wow, what happened to Haitofil? He just, uh, he kicked the bucket in, in, in one day. Nobody expected it. So that's the punishment of David. That's the punishment of David. And they'll know it. Because bad lives in their tents and amongst them. Ani, regarding me, David Melech says, I can only call out to God. And I rely on the salvation that will come from Hashem. I pray three times a day. What's Erev? Night. Boker, morning. That's Shahrit. Saurayim is the afternoon. I converse with you. And I... I moan, I, I, uh, uh, I let out a sigh in my prayer. And you listen to my prayers. I'll tell you a hadush over here. Let's look at these words over here. 
Who made tefillat shahrit? Very good, Abraham. And who made tefillat minha? Yitzhak. And who made tefillat arbit? Yaakov. So I heard from Acham Baruch Shalom, he once said that if you take the second letters of the Avot, you could see a remez, a hint to the prayers that they established. What's the second letter of Abraham? Bet, that's Boker. Boker is Shaharit. And what's the second letter of Yitzhak? Tzadi, that's Sahurani, that's the afternoon, that's Minha. And what's the second letter of Yaakov? Ayin, that's Erev, that's the evening, that's Arbi. So therefore, in their names themselves, the second letter gives to us a remez of the tefillah that they established. He also would say that we say every single day, the ladies say it as well, Shema Yisrael. What is Shema? Shahrit Minha Arbit. Shema. And it hints to us the three tefillah that we say every single day. Now, in the Pasuk it says that we pray in the evening and in the morning and in the afternoon. Of course, you know, the Jewish calendar starts at night. The day starts at night. That's where we put Arbit first. By the Goyim, their day starts in the day, or midnight, whatever you want to say. But our new day starts at sunset. It's very important. So that's why in our system it's Arbit, Shahrit, Minha. Minha is the last prayer of the day. Arbit is the first prayer of the day. Because Arbit already is on the next day, exactly. Now the Pasuk says over here, I will pray to you three times a day. I see, I will converse. The word means, and I will sigh to you, I will cry out to you. But the numerical value of is 57. Now, I know that number 57 doesn't uh, uh, mean anything to you. you know, Heinz ketchup has 57 varieties, but that's not a hadush for our tehillim. What's the 57 that we're concerned about? So Chabaruch used to say, how many berachot are in the Amidah? Oh, in the regular Amidah. Oh, so there was originally 18, but then they added one. So there's 19. There's 19 berachot in the Amidah. And we pray three Amidot today. So 19 times 3, 57. So that's the Hidushia. And I will deliver 57, uh, 57 prayers. Okay, very good. Next Pasuk. God, you redeemed me. You saved me. B'shalom, I, I, I got peace. Which means you saved me from the war that was going to come to me, from coming to me, from the war that was close to me. And you know what David Amelik says, why he got saved? Because the people prayed for me. I wasn't praying alone, ki birabim. I had the prayers of the people. And from here the Gemara learns that if you want a Yeshua, you must engage the prayers of the people. Ki birabim. I would have said, David, you don't need the prayer of the people, you're King David, you pray yourself. No, David, I got answered because the people were praying as a sibur. Ki birabim hayu imadi. God does not despise the prayer of the rabim. That's why it's very, very, very significant. And I saw a beautiful explanation. It says in Midrash, I didn't make a copy of it, but I have it, I had it upstairs in the office. I'll, tell, I'll paraphrase it to you. It says, Ki 
David gave the credit of his success to the prayers of the people. There was another tzaddiket, and her name was Rachel. You heard of Rachel Imen, right? Rachel, according to the plan, was supposed to marry Esav after Leah married Yaakov, which means Leah took Yaakov. So now the talk was okay, well, that's one, one, one brother married one sister, and now Rachel's left, and uh, let uh, Rachel marry Esav. So it says that ultimately, God, that did not happen. She ended up marrying Yaakov. And the Midrash that I saw says in what zechut? Rachel was praying, but it says it wasn't her prayer alone. It says Yaakov and Leah were also praying. So therefore you had a now a group prayer. And in the zechut of the group, Rachel got answered. So whenever a person is in a crisis, David HaMelech says, don't try to get out of it alone. Ki birabim hayu amadi. And to the credit of our community, our great community, that uh, we have a network today where God forbid, if somebody needs a uh, Yeshua, needs a salvation, today they have these Tehillim chats where people just, you know, log on to some uh, group and they're reading the Tehillim perpetually over and over, hundreds of times and hundreds of people. And the chats become so big that they start a second one and then the third one. Or they have these prayer groups that they get together in the shul and they read Tehillim. You cannot imagine the value uh, of this. It's tefillah berabim, ki berabim ayu amadi. The Gemara learns from this, it's to the credit, it's to the credit of, of the community. But the Gemara learns something else that's worth your, uh, you know, your, your time to hear. The Gemara says that if a person cannot come to the Bet Knesset, let's say, for whatever reason, you should synchronize your prayer to pray at the time that they're praying in the Bet Knesset. Because at the time that the masses are praying, it's called an etratzon, it's a time of uh, uh, mercy, and therefore your prayers go up at the Sibur. So for example, we have a minyan in the shul at 7 o'clock in the morning. So you know that the minyan of your congregation, let's say, prays at 7, and you know they get to the Amidah at uh, 7, uh, 18. So therefore, you pray your Amidah at home at 7, 18. Synchronize it with the Sibur, and therefore you'll get the uh, answer. There's a minyan to pray. Not always you can go up to shul. Let's say you're in a place where there's no minyan, let's say. But you can pray at the same time. I learned this many years ago. There was a great tzaddik called Mr. Isidore Dayan. Nuri Dayan. Those that know him. Maybe you read the book. He was a, he was a hero. They got the book. His book is the Lim book. Anyway, Mr. Dayan was a, he was a giant. He was an icon. He was a hero of the community. And Mr. Dayan, al I used to pray with him in a Hayezid when I used to be the rabbi in the Torah centers. I used to see him every day. Then he got a load and he couldn't come to Bet Knesset anymore. And he was the first one to have the idea. He said, could you put a phone on the Teva? Today everybody has a phone, a Zoom chat, everything. That's, that's nouveau. But Mr. Dayan was before there was any Zoom and anything. And they put a phone on the Teva and he would dial in every day. And they would put it on speaker so he could hear them praying in a Hayezid and he could pray the Amidah at the same time as the congregation. Now, Mr. Dayan doesn't get credit as praying in the minyan. He's praying at home. But he knew that to pray at home at the same time of the Sibur, there's a value in that. Now today, his, he was always ahead of his time. His ideas uh, at the time sounded, you know, novel. But then today, it's, it's mainstream. He was the first one. I didn't come to tell Mr. Dayan stories, but nonetheless, we mentioned it tzaddik. It says, tzaddik When you mention it tzaddik, you have to mention his name in blessing. He came in one time in a Hayezid, 
and he said to them, uh, he made an announcement, Sunday morning, after the 8.15 minyan, we're having breakfast with bagels. And the people said, what are you talking bagels? What is Nobody ever gave a breakfast in shul. And he was the one that said, we're going to start giving breakfast. And they told him, Mr. Daya, nobody's coming for a bagel. And he said, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. And sure enough, the next day, the 8.15 minyan, you couldn't get a seat. He didn't buy enough bagels. He says, you think you be, don't underestimate the power of a bagel. A free bagel, that is. The point is, but he was a very clever man. He said, there's no breakfast until you eat Tehillim. He would go around with Tehillim books, stacks of them, and he would give, after the 8.15 minyan, everybody would get a book. And then you had to read your Tehillim, whatever it was, and they finished the allotment that he had for them. And then you go inside, and you have your breakfast. The point is, the Pazuk is saying over there, that those that pray with the Sibu, that those that pray even at the time of the Sibu is praying, Ki berabim hayu imadi, imadi singular, rabim is plural, Ki berabim hayu imadi, that the rabim was with my prayer, that it was synchronized. Yishma'el v'ya'anem, which means God should answer the prayers of the rabim, and therefore subjugate my enemies. V'yoshev kedem se'la, and... Uh, this king that's sitting on the throne uh, should subjugate them. He says, they're not afraid. These people are not afraid that they can be replaced. That's one of the problems of a rasha. The rasha thinks he'll live forever and he'll never be replaced. He says, they don't think that one day they're going to be replaced with another generation. And therefore, and therefore they don't fear God. The Ben Yishchai on this says a beautiful explanation. They don't believe, there's no replacement for them. What does it mean? Ben Yishchai says a very important point. Did it ever happen? God forbid, uh, a person lost money, for example. Uh, where something happens, uh, where they take a financial loss. In the olden days, they would give the example, his cow died. In the modern way, they say, uh, his car got stolen. Or in the house, a glass falls and breaks, a glass that you, you know, was valuable. What did your great-grandmother say when a glass fell? Right, kapara. Today, what do they say? They curse you out. What would you break the glass for? Be careful next time. That's the modern generation. They get angry. The old generation is a beautiful kapara, it's a glass. Wipe the glass, we can replace glass. Glass can be replaced. The car can be replaced. The roof can be replaced. They understood that. But Olam always, not always, but many times takes replacements. Instead of taking the, the item that cannot be replaced, he takes items that are, so pray has to know, better that item. Good, you took that item from me? Good, keep it. And, but it could have been something else. That's the way the tzaddikim look at it. And when that happens, the tzaddik says, whoa, if Hashem did this, maybe it was supposed to be me. So they make teshuvah. They don't only say kapara. Kapara has to be followed by teshuvah. Which means when the glass breaks, you say kapara. Why kapara? Kapara for what? Because you did a sin. That's why it's kapara. So it should have been something worse. So at that point, you have to say, Hatati, Abiti Pashati, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for, for taking the bill. You paid the bill with a, with a piece of glass, a vase, and you didn't pay the bill with, a, uh, with something that's more serious. But you have to make the shuvah. 
So God does that to arouse you. But to the tzaddik, to the reshaim, Berishai says, to the reshaim live bliss. The reshaim, they live a life of total, total easy street. You see some reshaim like that. Because God says, in halifot lamo, God doesn't punish them with taking replacements. You know why? Because lo yaru Elohim, they have no fear of God anyway. It's not going to bring them to fear of God. If the Rashad's vase breaks, what does he say? Curses. He gets angry. So therefore, the God only takes the replacement if it's going to lead to fear of God. But to the Rasha and Halifot Lamo, they don't work in that system of replacements. Because why? They have no fear anyway. Shalach yadav b'shlomav hilel berito. Ahitofel, he raised his hand against Shilomav, those that he was at peace with. That means, he betrayed me. I had peace with Ahitofel. And he raised his hands, Bishlomav, with those that had a, a friendship. He broke the covenant. The covenant of what? The covenant of friendship. The covenant of loyalty. You see how David is so, this is a, you see now, when a person gets hurt by an enemy, it doesn't hurt you so much. But when you get hurt by your friend, the closer the relationship is, the more pain it is, the, uh, the hurt. Because you don't expect it to, 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 to come from there. One time, it says uh, that the, um, the, um, the blacksmith, the blacksmith has his hammer, and he bangs the, uh, the anvil. And when he bangs the anvil, it makes a big noise. You, know, you hear the clank. Like when he bangs the anvil. Next door, you had the goldsmith. And the goldsmith is uh, banging the gold or the silver, and it makes a very dull sound. It makes a very quiet sound. So the gold went to the iron, and the gold told the iron, why when you get hit, you make such a loud sound? And when I get in, I make such a low sound. What are you making so much noise for? You're waking up the whole neighborhood. That's what the gold told the iron. You know what the iron answered? He said, who's hitting me? An iron hammer. Who's hitting you? Also an iron hammer. You're getting hit from a stranger. When you get hit from a stranger, it doesn't hurt that much. But I'm getting hit from my brother. When the iron hits the iron, it hurts much more. Therefore, I cry out louder. He says, I'm getting hit from my brother. The iron's hitting the iron. I don't expect it to come from you. When the iron hits the gold, the iron says, ah, that's my enemy anyway. As we know, I expected it. Therefore, it's part for the course. But the iron hits the iron. That already the pain. And that's what it's saying over in the Pazuk. That means says, you were, you were at peace with me. We learned Torah together. We went to shul together. And then you stand me behind the back. And then he says, He says their, their language is very smooth. They're smooth talkers, these type of people over here. You know what mahamaot means? You know how you say butter in Hebrew? So the Mephalchim would say, their words are smooth like butter. I mean, it's a, bu- a, a tongue like butter, you know, smooth. Mahamaot, lashon hem'ah. And their words are soft like, like uh, oil. But what? In truth, their words are actually like sharp 
uh, instruments, like swords. Meaning they're two-faced. But the Vira Melech says, I have no worries. Hashlem al Hashem yehabecha. Take your load and throw it on God. And he will, he will support you. He will take care of you. There's a great pasuk. The rabbis learned from this over here. If a person has a burden and you cannot carry the burden, throw it on God. What can carry anything? Take your burdens and throw them on God. Which means you're able when you pray to God and say, I have a lot of burdens. God, I cannot carry it. You're stronger than me. You handle it for me. What is the burdens? The stress, the bills, the different troubles, the life things. Throw it on God. And do not think that he can't carry it. And don't think that you say, I don't want to bother him, I don't want to bother him. It's human beings. Human beings, you could bother them once, you could bother them twice. After that, every time you need something, I gave you. Go, go, go to somewhere else. God never gets, 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 gets nervous. But the Alam says, you could come to me every day, 10 times a day, and keep on throwing things on me, but I'm doesn't get nervous. You shouldn't think, oh, I don't want to inconvenience him. I want to bother. He's busy. <laughs> Is he busy? He's busy wanting to help us. <laughs> but you have to throw it on him. And Abed Sahib gives a famous mashal on this. There was one time a fellow that was traveling with a big luggage, and uh, it was very heavy. And the carriage came by, and uh, he says, can you, can you take me, uh, you know, to this destination? He says, has this big uh, luggage? He says, of course, get on. And he gets on the, on the carriage, and he sees the guy holding his luggage. So he says, what are you doing? So he says, you're taking me, but then I don't, have to, I don't want you, the luggage, you know, I don't want to burden you. He says, I'm going anyway, just put it in the back. What are you holding it for? God says, I'm carrying you anyway. So what do you have to hold it? Put the luggage in the back anyway. I'm carrying you anyway to everything. So why do you want to carry you? you give it to me. How do you give it to God? You pray. You pray to God and you take your problems and you just throw it on Him. And He will supply. He will never allow the tzaddik to, to fall or to, um, to trip. Now we get to the last pasuk. Now He curses them. Bring them to Gehinam, to the lowest levels of Gehinam. And shed damim umirma. These are people of damim, blood, bloodshed, umirma, and deceit. Lo They shouldn't reach half their life. And it came true. He died at thirty-three. Regarding me, I put my faith in you. I will say one more hadush on this pasuk from Rabbi Nachman from Breslov in his Likutei uh, Muharan. He says a beautiful piece here. You ever hear the statement that says that a person who loves money never gets satiated from money. Money is an addiction like anything else. I don't think they have a rehab for this, but it's an addiction. There's nothing to talk about. And the Gemara talks about it when it says that if a person has 100, he wants 200. And if he has 200, he wants 400. En Adam met. A person doesn't leave this world. He doesn't leave this world with half of his desires in his pocket. He always leaves this world feeling, ah, I didn't get enough. He doesn't leave, he thinks he didn't even reach half, he says. If he has 100, he wants 200. If he has 200, he wants 400. He always thinks he's lacking. 
But Nachman from Breslov says that's the number one cause of death. Yes. And the doctors agree with him. The doctors tell you today that the number one cause of death is stress. And the Gemara says, Mishnah Perkev, what says, When a person is interested in just increasing his assets, he's filled with stress. That he doesn't have enough, that he needs more, he's always agonizing over his money. And that brings him to stress. And therefore, cause of death, wealth. Wealth is the number one cause of death, says Rabbi Nachman. Because those that are running after wealth, they don't sleep at night. They don't have any... Uh, 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 a peace of mind. They don't have any solace. They don't have any, any yeshuvadat. Why? Because they're always running. We need more. We need more. We need to do more. We don't have enough. And therefore, the pressure and the stress ultimately gets them. And the Mishnah says it. Those that are interested in just running after nechassim, it'll lead them to da'aga. So ask yourself a question. Is it worth it? So I got nechassim, but I got da'aga with it. It comes the price. And da'aga leads to death. And that's what he says over here. If I could just, I know the time is short, but I'm not being here next week because it's Hanukkah, as you know. So I'm taking the week off with your permission. <laughs> so he says, Those that are entrenched in money, the more money he has, he has more stress and depression. Because it's eating him up. Because whatever he has, ah, this is nothing. The more money he has, the more de'aga he has. And then he says, Money and wealth. It's a, it can't admit, it's, it's not healthy. There's nothing that shortens life like stress, like worry, like depression. He says, Ki like the doctors will tell you. And money and wealth and people that follow these things and are obsessed with it, just bring the aga. He says, money has many languages. There's many words for money. One is afar. He quotes a pasuk in Iyob, afrot zahav. You ever see gold? When they shave gold, it's like dust. Gold dust. You ever gold dust? They don't throw that away. They save that. That gold dust is... So they call it afrot zahav. So afar is a reference to something that's expensive. So he says, when God cursed the snake, what did he say? You will eat the dust your whole life. The snake eats the dust. But Rabbi Nachman explains the pasuk like this. Those that go after money, those that go after the afar, the dust, the dust of the gold, it will eat your days up. It will eat the days of your life. It'll devour you. It'll eat the person up. It'll devour his days. And based on this, he explains the pasuk over here. Ansheh damin. What does ansheh damin? Those people, I don't know if it's damin. Damin is money. Damin in Hebrew is another way for money. Umirma. And therefore, because they're going after money, it leads them to deceit. Why? Because they have to make more money. So they have to cheat and they have to lie because they have to satisfy their, uh, their cravings. And she, damim and go together. And what does it say? Lo They'll never be satisfied. They won't even reach half their desire. Lo They won't even reach half like it says in the Gemara. And based on this, lo They won't live long because the chasing after the money causes them, God forbid, health problems. So what's the answer that it says? 
ואני אפתח בך. I put my trust in God. And therefore, שמח בחלקו. He's happy with what he has. He's not looking for other uh, things. He's not jealous. He's not stressed about the, the competition of others and what everybody else is doing. He's happy. שמח בחלקו. שמח בחלקו might not make you, meaning you're satisfied with your share, might not make you the richest person, but it'll make you a healthy person, which means you can be rich and have a terrible quality of life, and you could not be rich and have a good quality of life. At the end of the day, what is it all about? The quality of the life, not just because you're living. And therefore the rabbi is telling you, you're better off with bitahon than worried about anshe damimu mirma, ashe lo yachetsu yemeim. Okay, ladies. We'll stop over here. That's chapter noon here.